everyone. Welcome to Strong Mind, Strong Body. I'm your host, Angie Miller. And you know, Strong Mind, Strong Body is a perfect platform where we talk about all things health, fitness, and wellness. And my favorite part is the interesting guests and talking to them and getting their insights. And today I have a guest who I met last year when I was in Bangkok at Asia Fitness Conference. I think his name is Nick Tuminello. I think Nick is fascinating. He's got a lot of great insights for trainers. And Nick posed the question, do trainers really care about health and fitness? And I know he has sent this out to his subscribers in a blog several times over, and he always gets a lot of great feedback about, first of all, why would you even ask? Of course we care about health and fitness. But Nick has a very unique lens on how he approaches this question. So I'm going to bring him in. Again, his name is Nick Tuminello. He is an award-winning trainer, and he's an international fitness educator. So how are you doing, Nick? Doing good. Appreciate the opportunity for having me and the, and the great intro. Yeah. Well, you know what? I always think that you got a lot of good things to talk about. And I loved your question. Do trainers really care about health and fitness? Because I think that you and I are very aligned on one thing. And that's that there's so much more to exercise and fitness than what meets the eye, so to speak. We've walked away from the aesthetic part of it. Not that we don't care about that but that there's so many other things with disease prevention and the idea that we have better energy, better moods, we feel more stable, we're nicer, we can help alleviate anxiety and depression. And so when you position this question and you bring this to your subscribers, what was really your goal? What was kind of the underlying message of, hey guys, do you really care about health and fitness? Well, you did a great job of describing the the non-physique or performance-related benefits of exercise, right? Reducing all-cause mortality, you know, trying to live longer and not die. I think that's a pretty good, you know, reason to exercise on a regular basis. But the reason why I brought it up is because I'm not just creating a problem or having a problem, or a solution that's looking for a problem. What I was hearing, and, and I, when I say I'm hearing it, I don't just mean a few trainers. I get, I'm lucky. I get to go around the world and interact with the best of the best and the newest and the most experienced trainers from all over the world. And also with my social media um, presence, I get a lot of interactions. Um, some I agree with, some I disagree with, some are, you know, everywhere in between. So I, I did, I get a good finger. I have a, a finger on the pulse of what a lot of trainers are saying. And what I hear a lot in the last 10 years is I hear things like, well, my clients, they just don't get it. They just don't care. Right. You know, they're, they don't remember. I try to teach them how to do a Romanian deadlift, for example, and they come in. I've tried to teach them the same movement a hundred times and they still ask me, how do I do this again? Right. Or I don't want to think, you know, like, why don't they care? Or, you know, they're not really looking at any different from the time I started working out. Hey, most of my clients, I've been a trainer for 20 some years, won all kinds of awards, written four books. The majority of my clients don't, fitness clients don't look a damn bit different from the day they started training with me. Maybe they're a little bit tighter muscularly. But they're damn fitter humans. They're more confident. They're certainly stronger. They move better. So I, I was hearing things like somehow that's not okay. Or and I was hearing things like, well, there's a difference between training and working out. And, you know, some people are satisfied with being mediocre. And I'm going, what the bleep are we talking about here? Like, when did we get so elitist that I can work with someone who is a who is an accountant that's got it firms all around the U S 
and they have hundreds of employees and they're elite in their job, but simply because they don't want to organize their lives around kitchen, kitchens and gyms, that somehow they're satisfied with being mediocre. When did, when did becoming a gym rat and eating tilapia, 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 and broccoli, 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 when did that become the height of human evolution? I think it's a very elitist, very self-serving thing. And it concerns me because I feel like we're making the training more about us than the client. Yeah. It's becoming what it's becoming. You need to be a mini version of me. I love training and it's how I define myself and it's how I identify myself. So therefore, if you don't do that, if you don't love it the way I love it, or it's not your main priority, somehow you are lesser of a human. So I, I have a thought, Nick, I have a thought that came to my mind. It just occurred to me. So you know, I'm thinking about how a lot of times parents identify themselves according to how successful their kids are. Right. And don't you think that trainers do that a lot? It's almost like their identity is tied up into how they define success for their clients. And so to your point, if your client isn't driven by, you said kitchens and gyms, and I'm assuming you mean by proper nutritional habits, like you said, meaning tilapia yeah. and broccoli, then they're not doing it right. Because I think that trainers want to identify their success based on how their clients look. And so it's just like I said, where parents are like, well, if my kids are successful, then I'm doing something right. But define success to your point, define success, because this accountant could have a, a, a massively successful career, but they just want to train with you because they enjoy the experience they feel better. They have more stable moods. They're nicer to their family. Doesn't that matter, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it, what it really comes down to is, and I like you said define success, so I'm going to find, I'm going to define success because I really believe in true, in, in clear objectives and metrics. You know, it's easy to define success in for performance. Okay, it's, you know, how do you perform in a certain lift, right? How fast do you run? How high do you jump? Those are performance metrics. Then we also have muscle circumference measurements, right? We have body fat measurements. All those are, or some sort of fitness test, how you perform, how you do a circuit in a given time, if you're into the circuit training type stuff, whatever is important to you. But what we find is that whenever someone doesn't fall into one of those specific categories, then it means they're not serious enough. And because we don't have another metric to define success, but I think that we're missing some things that are right in front of us. How about exercising more often throughout the week than they would, than they otherwise would without you, right? How many people would just go, hey, look, if I wasn't with you, I probably wouldn't be exercising much, or I might go walk around the block once a day, you know, once. That's great, better than nothing, but they probably wouldn't strength train if it wasn't for you holding them accountable. How about the fact when the people say, well, they just don't care, right? Well, they maybe don't care about their deadlift numbers or, you know, doing some specific exercise that you as the trainer feel is important or that they should care about. But this client may have been with you for two years coming to you twice a week. I mean, even if you're not charging a lot of money relative to a trainer, right? Even if you're, if they're, if you're charging them 25 bucks an hour, you add that up over two years, they bought you a new car, you know, a, a low car at that point, you're going to tell me they don't care. So it's just that their priorities of what they're trying to get out of it are different than what the trainer thinks. And that's why I say we don't care about health and fitness because our only metrics of success are based on the metrics of, is it 
they don't have particular performance goals. Look, their bench isn't going up. Look, their chin-ups aren't going up. Look, their squat isn't going up. Or they don't care about that. Look, their body fat isn't going down because they're not changing their diet. Yeah. Uh, look, something's not getting bigger, right? Their biceps aren't getting bigger. We're not. So what? I'm just spinning wheels here. I don't know. They just don't care. Well, clearly they care. They wouldn't have been coming to you and, and, and spent a lot of their hard-earned money with you. Right. And their time and their energy and their focus and their commitment and their trust and loyalty. So there's so many things to your point. Yes, there are performance-based goals, but so much of the general population just wants to move more and feel better. And that's the, that's the bottom line. It's about how they feel versus how they look. And the fact that you're holding them accountable and you're giving them a space, safe space to go and do things. It's not so much about the performance. And I love how you said that trainers will say they don't get it or they don't care. And I guess my question would be, what does caring, you know, define caring? Because to your point, caring means something different to everyone. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's achieving, it's achieve, it's helping people achieve what's important to them. Now here's, here's a point of confusion. Every client comes into a train. Well, I can't say every client, the majority um, comes into the trainer usually saying the same things, right? They'll say something like, yeah, I want to get rid of this, you know, a little less of this, a little bigger here, wherever they say, bigger glutes. It's usually some sort of performance or physique-related request because that's all they associate the trainer with. That's all they know how to ask for. But as you start working with them and as you start giving them tips and talking to them about nutrition and behavior change and all the, the tools, and you find that they're just not doing those things, but they're still working out, then you realize what they really do want, right? Now, maybe in two years, they get to a different part of their life, and, um, and they go, well, now I really want to do a physique transformation. It, that's important, more important to me now, but now, you know, I'm single, and I want to go out, and I like having my wine and the burger here and there, and they, I, I used to have a client who was a Super sick. His name was Daniel Schuster, Schuster Concrete in Baltimore. A little shout out to him. And this is a man who was known, just a, a quick little side note about him. This was a man who started off literally going door to door, doing fixing concrete uh, in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And he grew up to be one of the largest concrete contractors in the entire state of Maryland, was considered one of the best employees, multi-million dollar company, one of the best companies to be employed by because he treated his, 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 his clients like gold. He still drove a cement truck every day, even though he could have retired, you know, very early and had lots of money. You'd never know it. He used to say the same thing. He goes, Nick, I'm coming to you. And keep in mind, he was a referral from other clients of mine. Some people don't necessarily want fat loss, but we forget about the weight management benefits of exercise. It might, you may not be actively losing fat, but how about the fact that we're going to offset some of the higher calorie, you know, diet and behavior and behaviors that you, that you have. So you're, you're not gaining weight as fast as the average person may into their 40s and 50s. You're not losing muscle as fast as the average person may. Right. These are all very reasonable goals. They might not be as cool and as sexy to the trainer, but I will tell you what is sexy and cool. Making money. Um, now, money's not everything, but money buys freedom. It doesn't buy happiness. It buys freedom. And no matter how smart you are as a trainer, you can't afford to become smarter and pay for courses if you don't have clients that, you, that are paying you. And you also can't be helping clients with all the smarts you have if you don't have clients. And the real money 
and the most variety of people who need your help and the most accessible clients that have realistic goals are everyday people in your area. They're not the celebrities. They're not the high-level athletes who tend to come and go. And even trainers that do have those celebrities and athletes, usually it's only a handful of them. I'm one of them. I've trained a lot of professional athletes. That was never where I made most of my money. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, you know what else is sexy and cool is just being able to listen to people. What's sexy and cool to me is being able to meet someone where they're at and to be able to say, okay, it's not about me. It's about them, which isn't that why we went into this? We went into this to change lives, not necessarily to change bodies. Okay. Because aesthetic bodies are only a small part of the whole picture. To your point, if they're, if they're just kind of, um, if they're kind of mitigating some of the damage, if you will, of their daily life, they're enjoying their wine, but they're still coming to you. So at least they're doing some things that are healthy that help offset some of those other things. So Nick, I want to reintroduce you and me. So this is Strong Mind, Strong Body. My name is Angie Miller, and I'm talking to Nick Tuminello. Nick is a world-class trainer. He's a fitness educator. He's an author. He's done all kinds of things out there that have made a huge impact in the world of health and fitness. So Nick, question for you. Another thing that you talk about in that article is focusing on what clients can do versus what they can't. And I think that's such a key point because if you go back to everything you were saying about performance goals and how well did they deadlift and what does their squat look like and are they externally rotated and you drive yourself crazy focusing on everything that's going wrong in their, in their body as they're performing exercise, then that's what you're focused on is what's not working. But what about everything that is working? Well, yeah, for, I mean, for every one thing that's going wrong with them is a thousand things that are going right. So um, I would say that you want to focus on both. They're, they're not mutually exclusive, but what it's, what do you focus on first? We have to remember that, sorry, there's a truck going by here. Sorry. We have to remember that we are a facilitator of fitness and we want to help people, everybody find what's important to them. And our vehicle for doing that is relative to movement and exercise. We want to build a love for that. So we want to set them in a, we want to build on wins. So, you know, when somebody comes in, for example, starts with like an assessment. I know NASM is really big with a posture assessment. I think that's all fine. But I would be, I, I, in my approach, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. They say when you give advice, you're just trying to tell people to be more like you. I'm just going to tell you what I do and what's worked for me. And I, I found other trainers resonate with this. I don't like to start that as a first, first session. I use those techniques, some of them. But my techniques at first is to see what they can do. And what I say is, I want to try to fit exercises, the best exercise that fit your body. So instead of saying, oh, my God, look at the pelvic tilt. Look how weak your core is. And look at all that. We don't look at that. I say, oh, I don't think that's a good exercise for you. Let's try this. Stay with your feet like this. Oh, see, that, that fits you a little bit better. That's a great way to start. Oh, your knees hurt when you do this? Okay, move your torso this way or try that. And we, we build off of wins because the first thing that I build into a program is trust. It's a relationship first. It's it's neck up first. Once I get that buy-in and they're coming on a regular basis, then I will start doing some of the other things and we'll say, hey, you know, you are a little, little, little limited in your range of motion here. You are, let's maybe incorporate some of these extra things. Hey, can you do that at home? Can you do that before you come in as your warm-up, pre-warm-up, whatever? The little more technical stuff, you might call it corrective type work. I'm not against it, but at first it's, hey, this is about fitness. This is about exercise. 
and we are going to start you on a positive. And we, I want you enjoying it because most people come in with expectations, especially now. We got all this competition, all these group gyms, and they may see their neighbors and friends and you come home and they're charged up and they got their community of people that they go out to Sunday brunch with. And they're like, oh, it's so great, high energy. And then they come to you as the technical trainer and all you do is you get them on the floor and you tell them they have to do hip bridges and breathing exercises. And they go, man, I told this trainer that I wanted better arms and I never even sniffed a bicep curl, but they had me doing these weird stretches and had me on this tubular foam roll thing. And I'm not, I don't even lift weights because they told me I was dysfunctional. I'm telling well, you it's a good way to, to keep clients for the long term, unless they're coming to you for that. Hey, I heard you're great at correcting these things. Right. Well, then, then they're expecting it. And I don't hear you say, I don't hear you say to anybody that you're trying to change their ways. I don't hear you say that you're trying to rewrite the script. I just hear you say, I love that from the neck up, that that's how you're meeting your clients, because that's how we should be. In my opinion, that's how we should be meeting every relationship is from the neck up. I want to be able to hear you. I want to see you share space with you. And I want you to know that you can trust me. And to your point, once they, you build a level of trust, then you can start to you can, first of all, you're approaching it from what they can do versus what they can't. So they're not starting out frustrated. And then secondly, you're starting to integrate in once they have this level of trust of some, some dialogue and some education about what's not working for them and why. But the main goal is this is what is working. And this is what I want to focus on because I want you to feel successful. And so, and that's, that's what keeps clients coming back. But again, it goes back to how do they define success? And so, you know, my 83-year-old Jim, who I just trained this morning, pretty sure he doesn't define success by how much he can deadlift. But I tell you what, I've kind of worked with him is defining success is how well are you breathing? How much can you open up your posture and stand up tall because he was, his balance is so compromised. So success is driven by every person's goals. And to me, it has to do with their activities of daily living and the way that they're, they're living their lives. Like you said, your client might come to you today and they might say they want to lose weight, but then ultimately probably what keeps them there is the, the experience of enjoyment because you're creating an experience for them. You're a contact point for them throughout the week that hopefully when they leave you, they feel so much better about themselves in life, right? For sure, for sure. And, and a couple of things here that are important. Everybody wants to get stronger. So I'm not saying that you just throw metrics out the window and you don't monitor anything. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that we can't confuse the fact that when somebody comes in, listen, I'm a real trainer. All right. I hear this all the time. And I know if you've been a trainer for any number of months versus years, you've heard this before. Majority of clients come in, they go, when I come to you, I don't want to think. So if you're thinking about percentages of one RM and all these technical terminologies, that's just opposite of what they said, what they're coming to you for. So, but it doesn't mean that you can't explain some of the things that you're doing and try to tell them, Hey, look, we have to, we have to make this worthwhile in some way, right? If we just randomly throw stuff at a wall and have no plan, well, you don't even need me. Why don't you just go to in, on the internet and find random stuff? Why don't you roll the those exercise dice? So I'm not saying you have to just totally compromise yourself. You still want to make sure that, that you know how to work with their body and keep them safe. Other trainers might not know that. Other trainers might not know how to work with their injuries and limitations like you do. So that's where your technical knowledge does come into play. It just means that you're not confusing the fact that they may not care about some specific lifts like you do 
that you don't want to confuse that is that they don't care and that, that somehow you're compromising yourself. Somehow that, well, I'll get them there eventually. I'll get them to really want to master the kettlebell snatch because I like kettlebell snatches. I'll get them to really want to, you know, um, start cutting fat and, and, and monitoring their diet more. Um, yeah, people, people would like that. But the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. If someone hasn't done that in a few years and you've tried every trick in the book from giving them information to telling them about behavior change, which, by the way, is still information, and they just don't do it, you don't just accept that. You don't just say, okay, well, you don't care, and then I don't care about you. But you just realize what's most realistic, and you also don't want to make them feel guilty and set this negative path where this trainer just thinks it's never good enough. This trainer is always telling me I need to do better, I need to do better. Well, you know, I'm busy. I, I can only do so much, and if you keep pestering me, then I'm just going to stop coming in totally, you know. So let me just do my workout and move my body. Uh, that's taking my medicine, right? And that's good enough for me at this point. Right. And, and we have to – and that's not compromising. And that's where I think trainers lose it. They think, well, i, I got to get you to buy into one of these things somehow. No, you don't. No, you don't at all. As long as they're working hard, challenging their body and enjoying it and not getting hurt, find things that you will, they will like, Hey, you, you know, you do, you do tend to like push-ups. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see if we can improve those a little bit. And eventually they will find something, mm -hmm. um, but it's not necessarily that it's not necessarily the rest of the workout has to be about improving every other exercise, right? It could be about fun and consistency, but maybe they're interested in push-ups. <laughs> Right. Well, and I think, again, it's just about redefining what success means to them. And you can still integrate in the things that are going to make them feel better and move better. But at, at the end of the day, it's mostly about building their own, building off of their own definition of success while still keeping those performance gains in mind. But basically being able to meet them where they're at and, and being able to build a level of trust before you go too far too fast. But I do think that your point <clears throat> that you can work with clients for years and you may not see a lot of external changes. It may not be that they walk out of the gym and everyone takes a pause and says, oh, my gosh, your client looks so much different than they did two years ago when they started with you, because that's probably not even their goal. And so I, I like the way that you position this to trainers and say, hey, basically what I hear is how about some emotional intelligence? How about just connecting with your clients on a different level and not putting your expectations on them? Because at the end of the day, a trainer-client relationship is a relationship. And how many relationships fall apart because we put our expectations on our partner? <laughs> Very well said. And let me, we were just talking about our clients, but let's talk about ourselves for a second. It's not just defining success or how they define success, but I'm also saying how as trainers sometimes may want to reframe how we define success yeah. because as i said before that's where the money is we might think well man most of my clients aren't serious meanwhile you got almost a full book of clients who are consistently coming to you for years that's success that most trainers would dream of maybe you originally thought that you wanted to train athletes or whatever why because they're easy they're already bought in they already probably look good um, and they just make you look good by default. I get it. But uh, just because the real world hasn't matched up with what your expectations were, now you have to redefine success. My success is that 
I have clients who enjoy working with me, who keep coming back. I'm paying my bills and I have some money left over and, and I, and I have referrals. Right. So then you realize, Hey, this is the clientele. And, and sometimes the free market will tell you what your niche is, right? So if your niche happens to be 40 plus people, and a lot of them tend to have back pain and they golf, that's your niche. Sorry. Maybe you want to be the, the deadlift guy or girl. You're, you're, maybe you can be on Instagram, but where the money's coming from is already determined something else. Double down on it, and you will have tremendous success as a trainer from a business perspective. But, you know, I do, it, it you kind of took us back to that same point of, you know, that sometimes when, when, cause I used to teach university students in a kinesiology program and they all thought they wanted to work with athletes. And to your point, it's because athletes automatically make you look good. But again, if we go back to, does it all have to be about how they look? Can it be about how they feel? Can it be about the fact that they're moving better and they're feeling better and they're functioning better in daily life? So I want to reintroduce you, Nick. I'm talking to Nick Tuminello and Nick is an amazing trainer. He's an author. He is kind of world renowned in his education. And Nick, I have another question for you. Just you've been training for a long time and I'm just going to imagine I could be wrong. I'm going to imagine that when you first started training, that this took a while for this to kind of connect with you. Am I right? Or was this something that you had a buy-in right away? Or did this kind of take you years to kind of go, yeah, I think I'm, I need to redefine success. All right, that's a, that's a fantastic question. So, uh, no, it's actually something I realized right away. And I think I can tell you why. I think it comes from where my bias was starting. Uh, I did not come from, and I was a, a wrestler in martial arts, Muay Thai, all that kind of stuff, early days of MMA. Um, so I really came from more of a hybrid way of, of training, but I also read early bodybuilding you know, magazines. My mom was a bodybuilder in the 80s. So, um, but I had no allegiance to any school of thought. Like I wasn't a power lifter. I wasn't an Olympic lifter. I wasn't a kettlebell person. Um I wasn't like a, a allegiance to a particular expert at the time who was a real big name at the time. The big names when I came up were Paul check and Santana and trainers would ask, are you a Santana guy or a check guy? I would go, I'm a client guy. What are you talking about? Right. So, um, so I think, so I always made it about my client and really what my, my, my goal was, um, I'm a highly competitive person, mainly with myself, not with others, is I wanted to be the best damn trainer on the planet. It wasn't to, you know, excite people for exercise of, oh, I like, I like powerlifting, so I want you to like powerlifting. It changed my life. It wasn't that. Is I want to be smarter. I want to be more versatile. I want to know things that other trainers don't know. I want to be able to do things that they can't do. Um, for train. I want to be a higher value trainer. I want to be the best experience. That was my competitiveness. And um, that's what drove me to stay educated and try to stay ahead of the game. So it was always about the client. It was always about the client experience. Um, mm. But I, I think that less about me now, I actually think that some of the reasons why we don't care about health and fitness is because a lot of the people who are teaching trainers aren't trainers. They're strength coaches and they're rehabilitation specialists. Now, I'm not saying we can't learn from them. There's certainly more similarities and differences from all the allied health and fitness professions. The human body is the human body. 
However, the perspective of a strength coach who works at a college or a pro team or has a huge name in their, in their city and they have their own facility that kids are coming in, they're a dictator, right? They're, they can set the facility up exactly how they want it. And the person says, oh, well, you're coach so-and-so. We've known you for 20 years. Whatever you say you do, you have a name. Well, the everyday trainer is not that person. And the everyday trainer is working at a big box gym when they're sharing space with a bunch of other members who could care less about that trainer or their client. And that client has come to you on their own volition, right? I would say trainers have, have volunteers. Strength coaches have hostages, all right? You don't work with me. You don't like me as a strength coach. And, and I'm a strength coach at a college. Great. You're off the team. Whether you like this or not. Mm. That's a great, uh, that's a great way of putting it because you're right. They're kind of large and in charge and they're used to having all the power and they're used to being the ultimate decision maker and everybody has to abide by those decisions. So, um, they're, they're at the top. There's a hierarchy, right? Yeah. And, and sorry to cut you off there, but also with physio, right? When you come to a physio, you go, look, my doctor told me to be here. Or my back hurts, you, I'll do whatever you tell me. I'll bang my head against this wall. If you tell me it's better for my back or help my shoulder recover, you tell me. So it's not about the client. It's not getting the client better, but the, but the, the, the expert is number one, right? The, the, the physio or the strength coach. Whereas in personal training, it's a customer service field. Now, we still need to be technical, right? We still need to look at the technical aspects of training people, program design, and so forth. But... It's a customer service field. People will come and go on their own volition. And if you don't recognize that and you don't meet the free market demand, the free market will will, will roll right over you. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a great analogy. And I think that that's so true because we're not in a quote unquote power position. We're in a position to inspire and educate and lead, but more from a playing field of we're equal partners here and it is a partnership. And, you know, I want you to be able to drive the car, but I'm going to be in the passenger seat, assisting you and guiding you and helping you. But ultimately I'm going to empower you as a human, as an individual, your body and your mind to be able to do what matters the most to you in a safe space. So Nick, this has been really enjoyable for me to listen to you talk about this. And that was really one of my questions was just, was this something that kind of came to you the hard way from the school of hard knocks where clients got frustrated with you or you got frustrated with them? And I, that makes a lot of sense. So is there anything else before we go that you kind of want to add to this to kind of give some last words of wisdom to trainers out there? Well, I would just say like attracts like. If you've listened to what I've said, and you just go, ah, oh, that's just not me. You know, I have my certain way of doing things and I'm going to stick with that. Um, great. Good for you. What I would say is that that's going to be self-selecting. You're going to have certain people who, let's say you're at a powerlifting gym, right? Um, so obviously it's self-selecting that people are coming to you knowing what the facility and what your specialization is. But when you're a trainer, it's a much broader term and you're going to get variety. You're going to get, so you get the the wife, you know, and then eventually she sends you her son who's the athlete. So you need to be able, you need to be much more versatile in working with different people. So that's why you also have to remain, what is it, what's important to them? Um, because you might not get those referrals of other people who have different goals, maybe that are more aligned with what you uh, are more cool with yourself, but just understand it's about the client. It's, it's not about you. And when you do that and you focus on people, going back to what you said, when you focus on people 
and exercise is our vehicle to train, work with people, the relationships first, everybody's success goes up. And it's a, it's a win-win situation. It's not, I have to do something to you. I have to, if you do something for somebody, yeah. that's the difference in training. That's a perfect way of putting it. It's not, it's, I'm not doing it to you. I am doing it for you. We're here together. So I really appreciate that. So Nick Tumnello, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your insights with our NASM audience. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Oh, Google knows me. Just, just search Nick Tumanello on the old Google machine. And you'll, you'll, you'll find plenty. All right. You you can run, but you can't hide. All right. Well, thanks to all of our Strong Mind, Strong Body listeners. We really appreciate you joining in. Let me know if you have any questions or let Nick know if you have any questions or any thoughts about future episodes. Keep doing what you love and loving what you do. And we'll see you next week. 